Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Caleb and I are on the road. We are on our way to western Nebraska. Finally. Yeah, to get after as local of uh, mule deer as we can, I think. (laughs) You know, we got to go to our our, uh, neighbor to the west. And uh, almost our entire western border of our state is shared with uh, Nebraska. Just a little bit yeah. of corner up in uh, up in the northwest is a is bordered with South Dakota. So, you know, when I kind of like I, I try to picture, you know, remember the old like pull down maps from grade school that uh, you're dating yourself there. I do remember this, Kent, but I remember. <laughs> yeah, not everybody will. By the way, if Caleb makes me laugh, I'm going to go into this terrible barking cough because. Um, I am getting over a cold right now. <coughs> there it is. <laughs> Don't make me laugh, man. What could go wrong? So, so uh, you're gonna. I apologize to your ears. You're gonna hear this barking cough periodically throughout this episode. That one is that. But you know what? We can reference EHD Island because that's kind of what that buck sounded like. Yeah, that's right. Oh my god, dude! You're gonna make me laugh. Yeah. But but uh no we're very excited we're on the road we're eating gummy worms we had to stop at bass pro on the way here to pick up a few things you know the scent free deodorant the butt out tool because i loaned it to somebody else to use and they didn't give it back <laughs> All and, the essentials. Uh, and uh what else did we get we got some uh I had to get some bullets you had to get some yeah I, you can't really call them bullets though i just call them projectiles just pieces because, of metal. And then some people call them sabots, but I think sabots aren't. Isn't that technically like the little plastic thing that goes around? That goes around yeah, the projectile. The, yeah, these, these I mean, are just, I, what yeah. are they called? You know, projectiles. Had to get some projectiles for his muzzle loader, and uh, I needed to get some uh, um, gloves for butchering. And you might be like, "What do you need gloves for?" And I'm going to tell you. Whenever I so I've I have field dressed. I have done some serious cutting on deer pheasants with my bare hands, and that's fine and all. But what I notice oh, is oh, it's messy. It dries my hands out. Like all the I think it must be oh, like yeah. the salt yep. in, in the yeah. in the blood and the other body fluids of the animal. Like it just dries my hands out so bad. So I like to wear. I like to wear gloves, so I bought some of those, and uh, now we're back on the road, heading west, and uh, um, we're going to go to our true sister state to the west, Nebraska, and um, I guess I'm just really excited for this trip to finally be here. Yeah, it's been, uh, I was, I was, we were talking about this on the start of the drive here, just, it's felt like something it's like one of those things you anticipate and then it, all of a sudden it's here you know but uh i feel like we're well prepared i mean i we've done a lot of a lot of different things to get ready for this hunt across months and um you know booking the hunt to start with actually was that that random i think you texted me you might have even called me 
I was up trout fishing in, in northeastern Iowa, and you were like, hey, w there's still some tags left in Nebraska. Yeah, that's uh, right. We should, we should do this. And it was a, a, a day and a half conversation with, with my wife about it to make sure she was good with it. And, and yeah, here we are, and it feels good. We've got a little ways to go. I mean, it's going to be a little bit of a late night, but uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be uh, it's definitely gonna be a drive, but um, hey, good things are hard to get, and you gotta go get them. So that's what we're doing. Well, we're not gonna talk about this hunt anymore right now. We're gonna we're probably gonna record like three or four podcasts on this trip, and so you'll get a full dose of you know our hopes and you know what we're anticipating the trip being and all that yada yada. You're gonna get all that. Um, but for this conversation we're going to have here, um, it's been a super busy week for me. I actually had two other podcasts scheduled. I had a live podcast scheduled, and I had to postpone that. And then I had another over-the-phone podcast scheduled. had to postpone that as well. Um, and the reason for that is it's just such a busy week. Um, I mentioned in this week's Pick and Bones, my friend Doug Duran came down from Wisconsin to uh, be at our Sharing the Land event that we were doing at uh, work. And so I got to hunt pheasants with Doug, and and uh, we had a great time. And But that was like a full-day thing. That's a long day. Yeah, I mean, a, if you're a pheasant hunter listening... I mean, half a day of pheasant hunting, you're pretty beat. That's what know? led to my uh, my descending into the depths of this cold that I have right now. Uh, it was a very cold day, uh, eight degrees I think when we started, and uh, I think that's the coldest day we've had this fall. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And but it was great hunting. But we'll we'll get into that. So we're going to talk some pheasant hunting though in this one. Um, I did have some other guests lined up, but it's going to be a Caleb and Kent show for this for this uh, episode. Um, We're just giving the people what they want. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm fit everything in, all right? I'm sitting here <laughs> in the passenger seat and uh, going to be hammering this black rifle uh, espresso here as we, as we go so I stay awake and coherent and all that. But uh, we're going to talk pheasant hunting. And then Caleb actually had this topic... We were talking earlier in the phone, uh, earlier this week on the phone, about, uh, you know, just, hey, we got to record some podcasts while we're on the road. And Caleb's like, hey, here, here's a topic I want to talk about. And he was thinking it might be a good pick and bones topic, which it would, for sure, it would. But I think it's just a good enough, like, long-form sure. conversation yeah. that it would work well into just doing a, a regular podcast and so we're going to talk about that and <laughs> we're going to talk about pheasant hunting and of course you guys know how the conversation it just flows sometimes it goes who knows where so that'll be that'll all be going on in this episode um do remember this podcast is presented by spartan forge we're leaning on spartan forge and the blue force tracker oh so heavily for this trip and uh, i wish i could show you but i'm not going to yeah yeah <laughs> And, uh, of course, we use uh, some hunt planning services from Alex. And um, so we, we feel like we have tons of options for this trip. Certainly. And uh, um, even beyond just what Alex planned, Caleb got busy 
on the phone and oh, uh, got us a bunch of private land access, which is just fantastic. It's a big deal. Really helps things work out. Right, I'm gonna hit pause. Right. So yeah, so we're sitting, uh, we're sitting pretty good. I th I feel on uh, having some some great places to hunt and uh, having a good plan in place. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let's go ahead and jump into the conversation here, though, Caleb. I think uh, start with pheasants here. No, nah, we'll do pheasants last. We'll finish on pheasants. <clears throat> and let's uh, let's talk about this interesting uh, thought process you've been like working through <laughs> in the last week or so. Sure. Um, so I'll let you kind of introduce the, uh, I guess the controversial considerations, maybe yeah. is the way well, to say and it. The, and I think you you may need to help guide me. To, to this to, to sound like what I was talking about the other night but um, I've been thinking about this season I guess it's been somewhat reflective on how on the experience that I've had in this deer season but also just in general and so and with the, and what I'm getting at here is size of bucks you know Boone and Crockett whatever you want to call it like big bucks and I think the reason is my season kind of had three parts to it so far on the archery side I passed a deer that was a <coughs> excuse me. I passed a deer that was probably like a 130-ish buck in Illinois early, and and then I I missed a deer that probably, from everything I can gather, was pushing Boone and Crockett, and then I harvested a buck that was smaller than both of them, but I felt just as good and just as satisfied with that buck compared to you know all all the three, and I think the you know, as I, I guess what, I, what I'm getting towards is I, I, I get older, maybe I've, I've killed a few more deer, I see how many deer other people kill, and uh, big ones, small ones in between. I, for me, I'm starting to think a little bit less, I think, about the score uh, when I'm hunting, and I really think it's situational. And, and that's maybe the, the heart of it, because I passed a deer early season because of the situation, where that deer lives, and what I know is around there. Not because I have any trail cameras up there, but just because of the area. And then, you know, the, the other deer, is just that was by happenstance, you know, to, to miss a buck of that size in this specific spot. Um, and then, too, like spot and stalking a deer, and when you get, you know, within 15 yards of him, it's like, man, you see that mass coming through the weeds. I'm like, my heart's going, and I'm just excited as if he'd be at, you know, 180. Um, but, yeah, I think, does that, does that kind of phrase yeah. that well, you think? Yeah, I think um, I think we try to boil down what it is we're after into one package so much, right? You know, you're probably familiar with, uh, what is it, Occam's or Ockman's? It's either Occam or Ockman's razor, or Occam, yeah. I think it's Occam's razor. I'm not sure. That's know. where, like... You shave things down, like the answer is the simplest. Oh, right. The right. simplest thing. Yeah. Right. And so we try to do that with a lot of things as humans. We like to categorize things and then we like to just sum things up. Yeah. Right. And so when, when we're all standing around talking to fellow bow hunters on September 28th, 
you know. Oh, yeah. And we're like, yep, this year, you know, season starts in a few days here. This year, I'm just after a buck that meets qualification X, you know. I'm just after a mature deer. I'm just after a a uh, 160 or higher. <laughs> I'm just after a non-typical buck. I'm just after this buck that I have on tra- You know, you name yeah, it. Yeah. We say that is what our goal is. But in reality, it probably doesn't fully represent the, the whole thought process, the, the, the full package of what would actually make us happy as a hunter, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. There's, there, like you said, it's situational. There's all kinds yeah. of things that could be at play that would make us very happy right. to harvest a buck within those circumstances. Yeah, and I, th- I wonder, too, I, I mean, I don't want to, this is a pretty open-ended topic, but for me, I'm thinking in the sense of archery deer hunting. Is what I'm as my perspective. I mean, we can throw gun hunting in there, um, which 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 again is it it depends on how you gun hunt. And I grew up gun hunting a certain way in Illinois, moved to Iowa, and holy smokes, is it a little bit different in Iowa? How that how most people? Gun oh hunt. really? How is it different? Um, well, growing up in Illinois, we I gun hunted like I bow hunted. I mean, I, I we sure you sat um, in the stand, sat in the stand, or, or honestly, the the pl- the the family. My great grandpa's farmland we used to go to. Um, it was sit. There was a couple trees. It was almost like a tree stand, I guess. Where there was a couple trees where there were traditional trees. If you sat them, they were in funnels and pinches. But we'd just sit and we wouldn't push. Um, but then moving to Iowa, my goodness, last year yeah. was my rude awakening of the Orange Army. Let me tell you, holy! Just holy. all the all the deer drives yep. and everything and going I, yeah, on. Yeah, deer drives. Yeah, exactly. And again, like that's a whole other situation, right? Where there's a probably a lot less standards as far as this conversation would go. Of course, everybody's hoping still for that giant buck to come out of that super thick draw or whatever it is, you know, when they're pushing. Yeah. But um, so I, I mean, again, I think that, and I even think across the season, whether it's archery or gun or whatever it is, you say you do have that standard or that hope. I think you put that out there. Maybe it's like, oh yeah, my goal is this, but. Even it doesn't mean that you drop your standard as the season goes. And even in Illinois, which is where I passed that that deer I referenced earlier, that my my situation there or my standard hasn't dropped. Um, it I still am I I've passed many bucks still in that state. Um, yeah. Every time I've been there. Now that the I think for me in Iowa, you're like what what are you doing in Iowa shooting a smaller deer or whatever you want to call it. It's like well. The situation for me is not so much the the it's the properties I'm hunting, you know. And, and you've been on a lot of them, Kent, so you know that they're they're smaller, they're funnels. There's not the deer don't necessarily live there, and so one of the things I've been thinking about within this, because as I've been reflecting, I had I was thinking about how much time I, I saw this the buck I harvested this year. I saw him from a ways away. But it was so far I couldn't tell what he was. You know, yeah. I was standing next to my friend who's a landowner, and uh, and he he was just like, "Hey man, that's a deer you should you should probably go after." So there's the green light. We're like, for me at that point, I'm like, "Awesome, I'm gonna go spot and stalk. We've got him spotted. I'm gonna you know try to move in on him." But when I was within bow range of that animal, 
what really triggered this thought for me was how much time did I have to process is that a deer I should shoot or not once he was within 25 yards I mean because yeah. and and, where he came out of I didn't see him until he was within 25 yards so in my mind I'm like for me it's typically about three seconds I mean I had about three seconds on this walking deer to decide yep I'm gonna shoot this deer or nope I'm not and uh, and ultimately decide if I'm drawing back my bow or not um, which I I think in a lot of cases is relatable to bow hunters I mean how I don't know in your in your circumstances I mean how often if you're not using trail camps and have don't I mean I, I don't really have many out I don't have any food plots um, so I, it's kind of like that age on the hoof. How do we how do we identify that buck? Same scenario for me last year. Actually, the buck I saw, I had maybe maybe five seconds. I mean, it was I heard a grunt, looked down, he's walking in, he's at 35. Put my binoculars up, and the the this, the thing that I used last year to measure if I'm shooting this year or not, or you know you know draw back, is that I saw he was outside of his ears a, a good amount, so he had good width. Uh, and and so I was like, yep, I'm har- I'm harvesting this buck. This year it was mass. It was mass, and it was the situation was this is just a crazy hunt. I can't believe that I'm that this deer that I just spotted, that however many hundreds of yards away is, is coming in. But yeah, I don't know if you feel the same. If that three second, maybe maybe that's well, yeah, yeah. You know, the <clears throat> you're kind of hitting on a couple different things here. You know, there there's guys that run a ton of cameras and do a ton of scouting and let's be honest at least to some degree there's something that all of those guys that do all that stuff have in common is it time is that what and it's time yeah. yep. you know right. you got you gotta and they might be like that's not true if you're willing to do x y and z and restructure this you'd have time too yeah, maybe to some extent, but there are people that just have more time to hunt. Right. And let's be honest, a lot of the guys that are doing that, hunting in some way, shape, or form is their career, you know? Yeah. And uh, so they're, they serve as a good example of like, yeah, if you have the resources and time to be running, you know, X number of cameras and... Um, be having this many different stand options right. and you know all the all the time and resources needed to target specific bucks then yeah you're probably going to naturally end up in a position where you are exclusively targeting big bucks right. and let's be you know if you're any kind of trophy hunter which I know is a dangerous term to throw around, but anyone who's looking for big antlers yeah. is a trophy hunter to some degree. You know, you if you're a trophy hunter of any kind, then, yeah, you should probably be wanting to up the ante to some degree of, yeah. like, shooting bigger and bigger bucks. Yeah, I like that. But for the guy who doesn't have that kind of time and doesn't have, you know, all the cameras and doesn't have, you know, everything else that you need to to really be consistent with that maybe it's just as simple as they don't have private land access right then you got to be willing to you know shoot 
the buck that gives you the opportunity. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Or, or you have to be willing to not fill a buck tag. Right. Because you're just not going to have the volume of hunts and therefore the volume of deer to target and and um, y- you're you're just going to be uh, you know in a in a realistic position of not having big deer all the time to go after and so mm-hmm. I think if everyone wants to kill big deer that's understandable big deer are cool but you got to be realistic with what your time is and what your equipment you know you know like what like not just your time budget your but your financial budget is oh, yeah. to be able to do that that might mean you got to do some hotel stays you know cuz you have this giant buck that you you know picked up on camera that's a couple hours away where you have <laughs> yeah you have permission to hunt you're going right. to have to be dropping money on food and lodging yeah you know you're like it's not all the the playing field isn't the same all across the board of whitetail hunting and right. i guess that's what i'm trying to communicate and so that's a huge factor in this conversation about you know should i hold out and wait for a bigger buck or should i take this buck because you know i got a good good chance and you know i don't i don't fault anyone for either i guess yeah it's super situational but i also don't want to use that as like a cop-out right i think i think that's one of those things too that that uh I think it depends on the individual, and I think that's what one of the things that I, and within this conversation, sometimes it gets kind of frustrating. I think for maybe for everybody, maybe for nobody, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, man. To me, it's sometimes more than just a big buck. Like that's that's not the the reason to celebrate the hunt as much. Yeah. And, and be excited about it, and um, and and I I mean I had a grand time shooting this smaller smaller frame you know heavier 10 pointer i gotta have two friends come out and help me get him out of the creek that he died in and um you know i was just thrilled i mean i'm still thrilled i i'm i'm super excited about it and just your to your point about budget too uh that's one thing that maybe the uh the uh, significant other the spouse whoever you know like for me my wife she was She's like, I don't know. The last two years, we've we've paid some money to the taxidermist. You know, we we've yeah, been supporting yep. them well. You're in the same boat too, where it's like, yep. You know, that's that's a few hundred dollars at least. You know, that you get back in your pocket if you don't. Um, which I think would err maybe even on the side of that. Do you, do you just wait? Do you hold out and not shoot the buck? Um, at the end of the day, too, I I feel like. Um, that I, doesn't yeah, I, I just love I just love how this that that concept is shaping up. Yeah, I'd shoot big bucks, but it's just so expensive to get yeah, the tax right. derby, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> so this, now this one twenty walks by. No, I gotta I, take I, him. I get I get <laughs> what you're saying though. Yeah. It's yeah, it is part of it. You know, yeah. it's so it's a very small part, but really, I think too. It, we've talked about this too because we'll shed hunt or whatever it might be. Um, you know. I, big bucks get hit by cars too yep. you know there's that scenario where it's like oh let them walk or whatever and i actually know on a neighboring property to one of the places we like to shed hunt quite a bit um i think that the deer ended up scoring they got him scored after they got a euro done on him they found this buck hit by a car he was out duck hunting 
a buddy of ours and uh, found this dead buck and got the the salvage tag and everything. I think he scored like in the 160s, like a really nice big buck. Um, yeah, definitely. But it's like, hey, you know, that was in October. I mean, this thing it got smoked by a vehicle, and that's always it. You know, that's one of those things too. I think that it adds. If we're crunching like this, this decision making into like these, like for me, it's like I've got small properties, a little less time, um, a good amount of time to hunt, but still a limited time. My my season kind of um, my deer season when the peak of the rut is coming is when my job gets the busiest and so for me it's like i always feel that time crunch of like oh my goodness like if i'm gonna get on a nice deer like it's gonna it's gonna happen and it's not gonna be convenient um yeah so you have that that again that that for me i come back to that three seconds to make this call on the fly typically um to whether or not to shoot the deer right and I'm in, in trail cameras. You mentioned some of that too. I think um, trail cameras are, are they're a, they're a neat tool. I actually saw a video on YouTube this year. This guy was using cell cams as dat- data to like decide if he was going to go hunt or not. And he they were they weren't showing as much much activity as he hoped. So he did he did like a I don't remember how many hunts, but he hunted directly over his cell cams to see if there was deer around them, but they weren't passing in front of the camera. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in every single scenario, except for maybe one or two deer, none of the deer in the area, he saw, like, multiple deer from the stand around him in range, but only, like, one or two went in front of the camera. Hmm. But, so, I mean, it, there is a faultiness to the, you know, the, the yeah. cell cam. I think when we when we interviewed Jay Kofer, it was like, you got to put four cameras on, you know, on the side of the tree right, to, get, yep. to get every angle. Um, but for me, like, for instance, I use the cell cameras as a tool to see our bucks actively using this area because it is so small. And, and you know, if it's dry for, a, you know, four days, there's one deer on there. Well, and, and right. what time of the year is it dry? If there's right, nothing right. coming through on Halloween, then yep. there's probably not much going to come through ever. Yep, yeah. So I think that's and, – and I honestly think crops play a big, uh, a big factor in some of these things on these smaller properties – um, but again, that I think that I think that for me, when I think about it, like if I see somebody on on Instagram, on Iowa Trophy Bucks, if you guys yeah. ever follow that Instagram page, it's like, man, you see some deer and you're like, ooh, that's you know, you can judge it, right? Oh, that's a smaller buck, that's a bigger buck. I know there was a huge one posted recently from a public land that was massive. Yeah. But like <laughs> that's obviously nod your head to that. That's cool. Um, but. Again, I, everybody that submits a picture to that forum, or it's like there's who knows what the situation behind that that hunter is, you know, that's behind yeah. the deer. So, um, are we gonna do we need, do we need to come to a hard conclusion on on? Yeah, the, uh, well, the I don't here? I don't think there necessarily is a conclusion. Like I think there's just some good principles to maybe to maybe take away from it, which is don't put your hopes and dreams into a box necessarily and don't right. expect to do the same with everybody else's you know we need to obviously hunt in an ethical and sustainable way yeah but you know if somebody's out there for meat and another person's out there for meat and antlers and another person's out there for just antlers then um <clears throat> We have to respect that, you know. Oh, absolutely. I and think, yeah, and uh, we have to acknowledge that 
those three people are going to have different goals. And so I think it I think it helps us maybe be a little bit nicer in the hunting community to one another when we when we understand that that nuance exists and yeah. yeah. And so forth. Yeah, one thing I think that's cool too is uh and this kind of transitions into some pheasant hunt talk I think, but the the I feel like there's a good movement happening right now within the whitetail world towards habitat management. Yeah. It's not so much deer management, but it's habitat. And I don't think and I truly don't think it's a, a label that's being put out there to mask the idea of people are wanting to shoot, you know, big bucks consistently. I th- I really like um I just think about some different guys I've watched this season and it's like they, you know, they're they 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 love taking care of the land so that the animals can thrive the most and obviously as a result of that is more mature deer come from that but they also they gravitate towards it as well and then obviously tied to that is not only is it good for the deer i mean it's good for every species that's out there Mm. Um, including pheasants. I mean, upland. Uh, how, yeah. how often, when you're deer hunting, do you hear upland birds? I mean, I yeah, all almost, the time. Almost every hunt. You, you yeah. hear you hear a pheasant cackle, uh, and typically, uh, maybe that's a sign of like, oh, I'm in a good deer hunting area because I can hear. Yeah, you know, that's true. Out there, yeah, it's uh, data, anyways. Yeah, yeah. cackling. So, because um, there's habitat, there's habitat for that for that bird to be in. So, yeah. All right. What you may not know is that we just took like a three-hour break. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I was getting really sleepy. I edited it, what I just said, to make it sound like I wasn't, like, you know, struggling to put thoughts together there. But I uh, had to take a little nap, like a 30-minute nap, and then uh, we talked for a while in the car. Yep. And, and uh, we just hit a gas station. The computer froze when uh, Caleb went to pay, so we were stuck there forever. Uh. Um, but we're back on the road. I'm rejuvenating. My caffeine finally hit. I think, uh, and I think that this is actually kind of perfect because the reason you needed the nap was because of. I'm a geezer? Pheasant hunting. Yeah. Pheasant Pheasant hunting. hunting, Yeah. That's why. That's true. Yeah. I I went pheasant hunting, as I I said earlier, with uh, sharing land and and, uh, Doug Duran earlier this week. And. I was getting over a cold. Like, I felt like I was out of it, you know. And then, uh, man, I did a full day of pheasant hunting in that 8-degree weather, which, I mean, it warmed up into, like, the 20s. But still, a lot of cold air. Yep. Uh, 17,000 steps that day, which I think that translates to, like, 7 miles or something. Hmm. So. So what are we talking about with pheasants? uh, Anyways. Wore me out, wore me down, ended up sick, and I'm hopefully getting out of it now. But made me fall asleep in the <laughs> in the passenger seat here for a little while. Yeah. But I'm back. I'm alive. I'm lucid. And let's talk some bird hunting because it's just kind of a natural progression every season. You know, it's like you tell yourself, dude, if I don't fill my bow tag by the end of November, I'm going to still hit it hard. You know, after the gun season's through December and January, mm-hmm. I'm going to fill that thing. But in reality, you get there and you're like, man, it would be really hard to fill a bow tag right now. Not yeah. impossible. There's guys that do it. But uh, maybe I'll go pheasant hunting. You know, <laughs> you just like kind of uh, yeah. you kind of make that transition. And 
late season pheasant hunting can just be dynamite. I, I think it's my favorite, to be honest yeah. with you. Be- and especially now geographically where in the state of Iowa where we live, uh, the snow comes later in the season too. And I, yeah. I always I don't know about you or anybody else listening, but I have always equated good pheasant hunting with snow. I mean just you can see the tracks. Yep. They kind of it kind of like it's almost like when those weeds get knocked down or the or the I shouldn't say weeds. Just say when the prairie or the you know the habitat it creates those almost like teepees, almost like buries them in yeah. there. They just kind of sit underneath it cuz they're like warm and they feel safe. Yeah, nice insulated yeah. thermal cover. Yeah. And it's like I I just you know, it's it's like uh, I think we we had our first snowfall this past week in our area, and it was like my mind immediately clicked to like, ooh, pheasants. They're yeah. gonna be, you know, this that's and maybe that's kind of part of that. Oh, it definitely is the. So we we had you know we had the benefits of that. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, in your hunt, you got we to had, experience yeah, that. we had the benefits yeah. of that. Um, and. It was honestly some of the best pheasant hunting I've ever experienced. Um, and the, there's a couple things that went into that. So, like Caleb said, we just had our first snowfall. So, we had this major shift in our weather. We we uh, went from, like, you know, it was a really warm rut this year. It's mild, it's just, very it mild. High 60s during the day, a lot of the days during the rut. And, you know, it was most days through November was in the were in the 50s and 60s. And then all of a sudden, I guess that would have been on like, that was Sunday, wasn't it, when it snowed? So it would have been yeah. yep. November 26th. Yep. We get this like two inches of powder and then followed by really cold temperatures. Yep. And so what it did was, it, in, in my opinion, what, from what I observed, it kind of caught the birds off guard a little bit. You know, like it, it, was, like it, was, a, it was a big switch. And it forced birds to kind of hunker down longer into the morning, you know. Like, I think, it's, I think the best pheasant hunting happens as early as you can get out to hunt. So if you can get out to hunt at... 8 a.m. in Iowa, that's the start time, the legal start time is right. 8 a.m. Right. You want to be out there at 8 a.m. Because birds get moving pretty quick in the morning, and they leave that, you know, good pheasant cover. <coughs> have you Excuse ever... Excuse me, have I'm going to be coughing all through this episode, guys. <laughs> have you ever I'm, had I'm, it, though? Sorry. In the... Because I've had this sometimes growing up doing some pheasant hunting, where earlier... I almost feel like the birds would move out to the food source, and then, it, well, you know, that's yeah. So, and and so then mid morning they kind of retreat back into the the thicker habitat, which I don't think. Yeah, I guess I don't understand their. I, I have no idea. Daily patterns as right. as well as I do deer, but but um, the way I kind of understand it, and that, and from what I've observed, like there's, if you got enough cover. Like, there's birds in the cover. Sorry, guys, I'm eating a cough drop here. So if you hear, like, annoying little crinkly noises and stuff, <laughs> my apologies. Um, like, if you have good enough cover, you will have pheasants 
Oh, yeah. You know, all day long. Oh, yeah. But in that cover, you know, like, there'll be some, there, there'll be, there'll be birds around. Like, you can hunt pheasants from, you know, opening hour to closing yeah. hour. One, I think, if you think but, about, it, like, that ideal pheasant habitat. Yeah. They usually, think about, like, South Dakota, if you, like, have ever seen it, some videos right. of people. It's, like, long strips of, like, corn or sorghum, but it's, like, not very wide, and what's right next to it, CRP. I mean, it's just everywhere. Well, and, and just not as many crops. You right. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, in Iowa and Illinois, you have the vast majority of the landscape is food. Yep. For for wildlife you know it's it's corn waste and and bean waste but uh especially corn waste <clears throat> like the pheasant i shot with the sharing the land crew his crop was just full of corn you know like that's yep. and where i shot him was you know in a stand of indian grass native prairie grass Yep. Next to the neighbor's cornfield, you know. Mm-hmm. But what oftentimes happens is birds will, you know, they don't have uh, stomachs and they don't have, well, no, let me back up. Birds do not, they do have stomachs. They do not have, they do not have teeth, right? They have a mm-hmm. beak and so they can't chew their food. They have to grind their food in a gizzard. And in order to do that, in order to grind it up in the gizzard, which this is where I'm kind of thinking of the stomach thing, you know, one of the our, our stomach digests in a chemical way, like we have stomach acid that does that, yeah. right? But we also have, a, in a way, a mechanical means where our, we have this muscular stomach that kind of contracts and stuff right. like that and helps. Right. It really, what it's doing is it's helping that speed up the chemical digestion by moving the food around a little bit and getting it covered in the stomach acid and other enzymes. Yeah. But but um, we also have teeth to grind up our food into smaller pieces, and birds don't. So what they do is they go and actually eat some gravel and, um, and you know, uh, poultry farmers call it, like, grit, like chicken mm-hmm. grit, you know? Yeah. And they store that in their gizzard, and they can grind up the food in their gizzard through muscular contractions of that gizzard, and uh, that'll break down the food, right? But they got to get that gravel pretty regularly. So yep. pheasants will, early in the morning, go to, like, some kind of rocky area to get that gravel. Yeah. In Iowa, it's going to be gravel roads, yep. right? Yep. Eat little pebbles, eat little bits of gravel. Shout out to... Ditch hunting laws in Iowa. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and then they will go and go to food. And now some CRP stands, you know, if you have like a pollinator, like a CP42, or even a really good CP25, which, by the way, Hawks Native Seeds has the best CP25 out there. Um, so go to hawksnativeseeds.com and get signed up for that, by the way. But anyways... Uh, if you have like a really diverse stand of forbs, meaning flowers, you'll have a lot of legume species, which are in the soybean family. Oh, I and see. And those seeds can be good food. Yeah. And hold your birds in the good habitat. Like if you have plenty of that food source, right? Yeah. 
But, let's be honest, even with a really good stand of native Forbes, that definitely helps. But if you have, you know, a 20-acre patch of habitat next to a 200-acre cornfield, yep. they're going to end up in the cornfield at some point. So if you get going later in the morning, you're going to... You know, a lot of, not all of them, definitely not all of them, but a lot of the birds are going to be out in the middle of a cornfield somewhere and you're never going to see them. They're going to be out there pecking at, at corn. And then what I observe a lot when I'm deer hunting in the evenings is, <coughs> excuse me, birds flying back into cover for the evening. Yep, I thought that's you what I thought them, you were going to say. hear them yeah. kind of cackling, you know, right at, get to about the last... 45 minutes of yeah. light you start hearing the roosters cackling and they're maybe getting the last few little bites to eat right around the edges of cover and so <clears throat> you know you gotta be you gotta be uh, on them pretty quick in the morning yeah when I lived in northwest Iowa by the way my goodness there was there were some times where I would see flocks of pheasants doing that they, they would come from private land ag fields and there was some public pieces that um i would try to almost you know because it's on the edge of that legal light like if you like just before yeah well, not legal light but what it was 4 30 i think is when it closes in iowa yep um and so it'd be like 4 15 and you could you could legitimately if you had them patterned enough you know, <laughs> just wait. Sit, honestly honestly it'd be kind of funny yeah you could wait you could almost wait and shoot them as they came over well i had it, a but. pheasant go right past my tree stand on thanksgiving oh, that's, day that's I, pretty funny <laughs> i thought about shooting him with my oh, bow but funny. i didn't know if it was legal or yeah. not well i want to i want to uh, we should hop back to you mentioned you know just kind of that the the, re, the reason why you thought um the hunting was so good for you I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, that's inter- I'm, inter- inter- I'm interested yeah. to hear part yeah. more of that and why, yeah, why it was yeah. so good. Yeah, so, so that, I was setting the stage for that a little bit there. It was kind of a long, rambly way. But um, so <clears throat> we had all that snow, and then that really, I think the bigger deal than the snow was the cold. And so they got hit with this serious cold. I mean, you're talking 60 degrees yeah. colder than what it was just a few weeks ago. Right. And when you when you get to January, the birds are used to that. That's part of the routine now, you know. Instead of it being a cold day, it's a Tuesday. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's just life. Yeah. But in late November, it was like a shock to the system a little yeah. bit. And so they loafed in that thermal cover. They stayed back. Right, they longer were, yeah, later yeah. into the morning, and that that um, made for excellent hunting. How many how many birds like did you did you see you think on the hunt? Um, we probably saw. I mean, roosters, hens, you know. Yeah, everything all together. I'd say you know. Probably close to thirty birds. That's pretty good. Like day. That. Yeah. Any any quail. But, but in what that made it too? no quail. Okay. Um, but what made it so good was it's like thirty. That's not a crazy number, and maybe it wasn't even that high. Maybe it was like twenties. Still a good day, yeah, right? Absolutely. We we shot four roosters, 
But what made it good on top of that was not just the sudden cold that the birds weren't used to yet, but it wasn't windy. And so, hmm. Caleb, you hunted the same ground oh, with okay. me last year, remember? Yep. yep. And remember how sparse the birds? Like, we still saw probably... Was it the first time? We still probably saw about 20 birds that day. Was it but we didn't first, get any. Was it remember? the super windy day? Yeah. I think it was, it was windy both. Well, I guess on the... It was super... I'm not... No, this I'm talking like the January hunt we did when it was frigid. Later, oh, my goodness. And the dogs were like tore up from the oh, ice and, and stuff. Oh, man. Um, so when it was windy like that, the birds were not spread out well through the habitat. Not they were at all. They were piled into these little, these little nooks and crannies where they could get out of the wind. Yep. And so <clears throat> you had to get not only... Well, they, they were you, you had to not only be ready to go when yeah. you got to those specific spots, but you had to hope that those birds weren't going to flush too early yep. because you were probably going to walk for another half an hour before yeah. you came across well, another saw, single bird, you know? There but was, yeah, but with, was the, with there being basically no wind when we were hunting the other day, earlier this week, the birds are spread all throughout. And so That's we had great. opportunity, you know, all yeah. throughout all throughout the the morning hunt especially but then after we we hunted the main farm at hoxie we took a break for lunch and the temperature climbed up into the 20s and when we went back out and hunted another farm that has been hunted even less and still has a lot of great habitat the uh the birds were already out to the food. You could yeah. basically tell. We saw like yeah. only four birds, and they were and all for, hens. For any southern listeners, yes, the temperature yep. can climb into the twenties. That's can, right. You, could, That's you right. can feel a notable difference. I I will yep. vouch for that. And and the birds were willing to get yeah. up. And the, <laughs> the other thing too that helped, I forgot to mention, with it being that sudden cold on the birds, right? They flushed very very tight. Yeah. You had to basically step on the birds to get them up. That yeah. That's and fun. so and so you know. Any bird that flushed, pretty much, other than like maybe five, <clears throat> were in range. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and so it it made for great, great hunting. So, I guess what, you know, I'm kind of rambling. It's like eleven o'clock, eleven thirty. You know, sorry guys. So how do we make this useful to our listeners? Well, as we get into this time of year, like. The chances of replicating that day that I had earlier this week are not great. Like that's yeah. a that you get a day like that maybe one seven unless you like really hit it hard pheasant hunting. Yep. You know, and you hunt like twenty plus times a year. Yep. Uh, you probably get a day like that as a casual pheasant hunter once every three or four seasons maybe yeah and i think it depends again it's where where do you live too you know i can i can think about yeah people in south dakota yeah yeah, or if we drove four to five hours four hours from where we live we could find some pretty spectacular pheasant hunting in the state of iowa but But we we do have the i would say that we're in the top 25 percent of the state of iowa it is very good we're at so i mean i mean it's it's pretty good pheasant hunting but but uh, so, what can you expect during this time of year? Well, I do think that generally speaking, you do get tighter flushes through the late season. Um, 
yes, these birds have been exposed to a lot of hunting pressure, so that makes them a little more nervous. But it also, when it gets cold, it puts a bird at risk to have to get up and flush. You know, they spend a lot of energy doing that, and they don't want to do that. they got to spend their energy staying warm. And they don't want to waste energy flushing when they could have just hunkered down and ridden it out. In fact, I think we walked past a ton of birds Oh, I think that happens other day. every time. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, not even just runners that, like, kind of run circles no, they around just, you. they just sat. I think they just sat yeah. really, really still. And, well, I mean, and, and that, so, how many times have you had that happen too? Have you yeah. when you hunt somewhere and you you go past a spot? Um, I can think about the first time we pheasant hunted together last year. We it was a hen, but we walked past it, and then the dogs doubled us back and flushed a hen. And oh yeah, I remember you know, that. How many, yeah. how many times that happens? You know, I that think, was right after your dad's dog rolled in that giant pile of poo. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, that was that's good that stuff. Me, that was that was so <laughs> funny. I thought <laughs> but, that was hilarious. Um, What's your dad's name again? Mark. Sorry, Mark. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I laughed at I laughed at your uh, conundrum there with hey. uh, your dog that was covered in diarrhea. With, and, and we we uh, you own two Britneys. I own a Britney. My dad's dog is a Britney. But what <laughs> what is it? Because my dog does that too. What is it with Britneys and raccoon poop? Like, come on, guys. Dude, I I had Ron Bame I had Ron Bame on this podcast like a year ago Why? from the Hunting Dog Podcast, and he made that exact observation. He said, "What is it?" He said, "Whenever they're." There, I asked him what it's his opinion was about Britney's. He said, poop. "Well, he said if there's something disgusting, they Britney's will, will find it and they'll roll in it." They love it. Yeah, they do. Oh man, that's sorry. It's so huge, it makes it makes you so mad. There. But but yeah. Anyways, um, I so to take advantage of this, I think it's really important that you have enough dogs mm. when you're hunting on um, the late season because you got to have all the ground covered to get those tight flushing birds up <clears throat> we had three dogs and five hunters and we definitely could have used a fourth for sure and, and a fifth even would have been nice i had four and five <laughs> you know and yeah. and uh so if you have if you have a buddy that's got a dog or you have a dog you know you really need to put them to to work during this time of the season and, and if you can link up with with a couple other people you know something else I think people if you're a trustworthy enough person and maybe you don't maybe you only have one bird dog or you don't have any but you have a friend that does have one or two and if you went to them and said hey I promise you I will not shoot your dogs <laughs> um would you mind if I took them hunting? You're about to start a dog leasing business. <laughs> yeah, right. Like yeah. But, uh, dude, I would, I would let somebody <laughs> hunt with my dogs. You know, like, the, the dogs love doing it. I can't always sure. take them. Sure. You know what I mean? If I if it was, like, let's say, Caleb, you came and sa- sure. asked if you could hunt with Theo and Tess, I'd, I'd be all right with that, you know. But find a way to get dogs on, you know, in, uh, you know, if you're covering, like, a big piece of, of ground you know three four five yeah. dogs is, is good to have right right you know usually a dog per person is a good rule i'd say yeah. during the late season yeah so another thing too is um uh be prepared for those tight flushes you know 
Um, they kind of startle you a little bit sometimes. That's but, the best, though. But if you're oh, expecting man. it, that helps you keep your focus and not yeah. forget to, uh, you know, draw up your gun and yeah. and uh, make a good shot. And For so, those that have experienced it, you, that's the best. Yep. When you, yeah, that little jump you get, and it's just, you know you're alive. You know what I mean? Yep. That, that your heart skips a beat, and you're like, holy smokes, there it is. Yep. And another thing that helps with that is understanding what kind of cover to really expect birds to be coming right. out of. Cattails, which is the weirdest thing to me, but cattails during the late season are very good. Um, the The birds like to be in the cattails in the late season. Again, I don't really understand it because they're down by the water. I mean, obviously it's all ice, right. but who knows? But uh, you know, standing around on ice does not sound like a better situation from a thermal standpoint. But a lot of times, cattails can be very good. South-facing uh, slopes, sure, almost like a shed hunter. Cedars, excellent spot to oh, hunt. Yeah. Um, and then, like we were talking about, little coolies or little uh, uh, depressions in the landscape that get the birds out of the wind. Um, those can be very, very good. Uh, all these, all these different examples are places think, you should be. Yeah. You know, gripping the gun a little bit tighter when you walk up on them because it's very, very good chance you're going to be flushing yeah. some birds out of yeah. there. Yeah. What would you say as far as uh, you know, you get into this later part of the year, this in our uh, circumstance, first big snow and cold's already passed us now, but where's the, you know, the next snowfall? You know, like is that, are we waiting on that? Is it is that the the is it, it obviously maybe not as good. I always enjoy the snow for tracking purposes. Oh yeah, you know when you, you get to see, see their tracks, the fresh and stuff tracks. Like that. You know yeah. you know you're on that scent in the bird. I remember last year my dad and I took uh, our dogs up um, to kind of northern, the northern part of the state of Iowa, and uh, and I w- I could actually see about 20 yards in front of my my Brittany Archer. Um, I get he was he had a, he was on a hen. I mean, I could see the tracks, and eventually we caught up to her, and she was just, you know, kind of go around the next little patch of, you know, blown over. Um, I might have been blue stem, and then she would just tuck in behind it. Okay, yeah. And then he would, and then as soon as he got within about ten yards, where you could see, you could, I could watch it. It was really cool. But yeah, what would you say? You know, is it worth? Obviously, the best day to pheasant hunt is the next day you have available, but. Yeah, I mean, you wait yeah, for the next some, snowfall, or yeah, some of those snowfalls they do have advantages to them for sure. You know, there's also disadvantages though. Again, hunt with dogs. You know, if it's real icy, yeah, and really tear up their feet, yeah. and their nose. Yep. Um, that kind of happened with our dogs Tell, last yeah. year. They were oh, totally yeah. smoked by the end. In fact, yeah, uh, we did shoot a bird. <clears throat> yeah, that was. But we weird. couldn't recover, and we had four dogs yeah. looking for it. But they were just—it was at the very end of the hunt. Yep. Dogs were cold. They were worn out. They were bleeding. That was a weird. You that know, was, was that's like, a weird hunt, though. Remember, all those birds were together. Yeah. I think there was three cases of singular singular birds, maybe two hens and that 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 one rooster. But yep. Um, speaking of shooting birds, too, I texted you. So I texted Ken. I said, "Hey." Uh, did you get any birds today after they'd hunted? And you texted back, yeah, I shot 1.5. You yeah. want to <laughs> maybe describe that to yeah, it's so those that don't pheasant? How do you do a so 1.5 and then who so gets the who gets it, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, so it felt pretty good because, you know, like we're being filmed for for uh, uh, 
show that's going to air on uh, on um, a couple different YouTube channels. Uh, I think in March. So if you just kind of follow sharing the land, you should be nice. able to you should be able to find that. Nice. But, but um, so there's a film crew out there filming our hunt. You know, Doug's a big deal in the hunting space, and especially in the conservation space. And so it's just fun being, you know, oh, hunting yeah. with him, and 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 he's become a good friend. So you know, you're hunting with a you're hunting with a a buddy that you've never hunted with before. And so there's that aspect <clears throat> right off the bat. Doug just crushes one. I mean, just, oh, that's just nice. smokes it. And so, you know, it's a very successful hunt. I mean, five minutes in. Hmm. Well, then, not ten minutes later, I get my shot, and I smoke it. There we go. And uh, I kind of struggled last year with my shooting uh, pheasants. I think I got one bird last year, but I, like, just well, I dusted we... him with a few pellets, and then you and Clint had to finish oh, it off for okay. me. Oh, okay. I was thinking, uh, yeah. That was the only bird I ended up with last wow, year. Wow, okay. I didn't know And that. so, you know, my confidence was kind of a little shaky, but I, <laughs> my grandpa gave me his old uh, Model 12 16 gauge, which everybody was oohing and awing that's, over. That's a cool gun. Yeah, that's yeah. a really cool gun. And uh, first shot ever fired out of that gun that I can, that I, I think that was the first time I ever shot wow. that gun, unless I shot it when I was like, in college at Clay Pigeons or something. Is that a – what are we are we working with? I'm just trying to picture it because I wasn't there. But over, under, side-by-side, side, straight, semi-auto, what did what we what – Yeah, it? it was just a you know old pump gun. That's pretty uh, cool. So uh, just stone this bird, first shot ever. That felt really good. Um, then, uh, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes later, get another close – tight flush and so Doug and I have a bird um, so we're like hoping these other guys that are part of sharing the land are going to get something you know so the yeah. guy hunting next to me his name is Mike bird flushes real close and we both just unload you know we yeah. not unload but we, yeah. we both shoot once and <laughs> we smoke that thing so hard I mean, both of us just there you just, go, yeah. Just direct. So hit basically, on the you thing. didn't you didn't know who shot first. It was like simultaneous. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I I said what well, you know. I think he might have actually shot maybe right before I did, but it was. It's like, sometimes hard to tell, honestly. Right, it's like boom, you yeah, know, kind of thing. Yep. And uh, so I counted it just as a a half bird, you know, as like. Now, is was there much left of this thing? Dude, was it pretty beat when up? When we shot it. The feathers, yeah, flew off of that. Thing, oh, uh, yeah, and they just floated there <laughs> in the air for like yeah. thirty seconds. They oh, just kind of drifted through the air. Classic. I mean, just we we stoned that thing, and uh, <clears throat> so that that was uh, my one and a half birds. But and then uh, I think we got so yeah, that was bird number three, and then we got one more later. On. I missed a layup. Oh, this is how tight the birds were holding. It was a big rooster. I had already walked right past it. I was gonna say, do you have to shoot behind and yourself? It, yep, like, and yeah, yeah, turn spin around. around backwards yeah. to get that's it. That's probably tough the, shots. that's probably the toughest shot. That well, is straight that, up, but also when they tough. fly straight out from you, like oh. they're going so fast. Yeah, that 
you know, that can be a really challenging one too. The U-turn but, shot where you got to turn but around. But yeah, the tough, U-turn man. shot sure was tough. And you got, you're trying to, you know, like look at your peripheral, make sure you're right. totally safe to shoot. <laughs> right, not, right. Someone's not in the way and stuff. But uh, yeah, missed that. I think we said. So there was three of us that shot. So I missed the layup. Doug missed the rebound. Oh no! And uh, our buddy, our mutual friend, uh, Jace. Elliot, oh yeah, he was participating. That's great. Uh, he got called for a foul. I think is how we said that. You know, <laughs> he didn't really get called. For, you know, yeah. he didn't get. We were just saying like, yeah, I I missed the easy shot. Doug tried to help me out. He missed, and then Jace missed too. So. So at uh, that point, the bird deserves to make. But then, it, you like know. two minutes later. Uh, Jace shoots a nice one, so that was our fourth bird. And then we actually did a little rabbit hunting in there too. There was oh, got nice. got two rabbits, <coughs> which was cool. And uh, everybody got something. That's cool. Which was awesome. That's pretty special. Yep. So everybody either got a pheasant or a rabbit. Not like just given to them either. Mm-hmm. Like everyone shot shot something, harvested something. So. So uh, let's take this back though to some maybe some practical use. Yeah, How keep, about you know keep an eye out for the mixed bag opportunities too, like rabbits yeah. or squirrels this time of year. Oh um, yeah. But also you know hunt those hunt those areas that just make sense, kind of like shed hunting. You know, shed hunting should just kind of make sense. You know, I'm going here because this is where deer are going to be, and uh, you know same thing for pheasants. I'm going to go here because there's good thermal cover there's food close by you know there's it's a place that would be hard for a predator to to <clears throat> you know put a hurting on right on, on the birds you know and uh you know direct your dogs into those those kinds of areas but what about uh one of the things i don't know if you ever struggle with this and i i just think about it sometimes um shot shell size you know three four five six oh, you know yeah. what's like and because i know for me um i personally kind of like the four four five i'll i'll have some six some six shot in yeah. there but i was actually watching the, a, a youtube video where someone had three shot and i thought ooh, that's man that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty it's getting pretty close to buck yeah. shot yeah so i mean for me i'm kind of a five six um sure and and i i but the gun I typically use uh, right now is a, it's a 12 gauge. Um, but you now you've experienced probably with 12, 20, and 16 now. Yep. Yeah. What, so like, what f- favorite gauge and what? what 16 is definitely my favorite. It's that nice. You know, it's a it's significantly lighter than yep. lugging around a big 12. Yep. Um, it's that in between. It's yeah. It it has a little bit more firepower than the twenty does, which right. is nice. Um, downside is it can be hard to find shells for. Sure. And uh, yeah, I like the six shot size. You know, five is good. Uh, four would probably be okay f- with me, but I don't really like going bigger than six. I just think it starts to get <clears throat> pretty. Uh, pretty small shot once you get up into seven eight right starting to pepper them only right yeah. yep so and you know those birds are pretty tough and they have thick you know feathers on them that that uh 
they'll if you just dust them with with a light a light load it might not be fatal or it sure it might <clears throat> at least make them suffer a while before they right. die you know right. so yeah i like those heavier heavier loads myself but man i'm excited now for some more pheasant i don't know if i'll get yeah. out again this year or not we still got some deer tags to fill oh we'll get um, out again but i'd like to get out again um and uh just uh let the dogs run and and do their thing and and uh and also enjoy the social aspect of pheasant hunting super yeah getting to talk and fun. laugh and right and uh um just enjoy the day with friends where you don't have to be all stroked out about scent control and <laughs> noise and yeah access cover and all that stuff that goes with bow hunting and so yeah. i think it's one kind of, the, of a nice yeah kind of a nice shift so fun i remember last year that bird you mentioned where you i i chased I, you would chase that bird way down to that fence line it it flew up you shot hit it and when me and clint finished it off we just all were high-fiving yeah you know, just that camaraderie yeah. it's just so fun it's just unique yep so definitely yeah pheasant hunting with a, bu- a group is a team sport you know and uh you got it has to be to be safe mm-hmm. but also sometimes just to be able to get birds you got to be able to work as a team and so um <clears throat> there's there's a lot of reasons why people should do it yeah but well this has been a good podcast everyone i'm starting to get sleepy again it's about time for another nap for me <laughs> i think sorry caleb um i just drank coffee we're good yeah, we're good uh i need to drink mine apparently but um, do remember this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is a critically important tool for any hunter out there that wants to explore new territory, maybe understand the territory that they are hunting a little bit better. And um, it's also great for knowing what you can kind of expect from the average deer during that time of the season and with those different weather conditions. So uh, you can find the link for Spartan Forge in the show notes or over at my link tree in my Instagram bio. Uh, I think it's like the first or second, uh, maybe third link on my link tree. So go over there, check out Spartan Forge, get going with it. You'll be so glad you did. Also, Caleb and I, we're doing a kind of a dream hunt right now. Oh, it's going to be fun. Getting after some muleys. I've been wanting to do that. Man, since I was a kid, probably. And uh, Alex helped us. He rented us gear. Gave yeah. us some good areas to, to hunt. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we're just so thankful to have Alex in our corner. Yep. You can have him, too. Go to eastwesthunts.com, request a free consultation. Alex will verify that his services are what you're looking for. And uh, he'll do his best to help you, whether that be through tag applications, buying points, yep, um, running gear, having a hunt plan put in place to help you be mo- most um, uh, successful. <clears throat> All of that. Alex will, will take care of you. Just tell him you listened to this podcast and you heard about him. And you'll save 10%. Um, which is nice, you know. That's, oh, yeah. That's, every little bit adds up. And then uh, finally, 
old barn taxidermy just tonight. Caleb and I saw some pretty ratty taxidermy oh, at uh, Bass Pro. Um, some great taxidermy. Yeah. Not all was bad, but we did see some bad taxidermy. Don't get yeah. bad taxidermy, people. <laughs> it was a great, <laughs> impressive buck bad taxidermy. on this ratty old mount. Oh, man. Yeah, don't do that to yourself. Go the right way. Go to old barn taxidermy, and uh, they will take care of you. They'll give you the best work, the best taxidermy work that uh, money can buy. And uh, I believe that. And so... Uh, you can find a link for them in the show notes as well. Be sure you tell them that I sent you there. That really helps me out. But Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the ramblings of a sick geezer who's sleepy as anything. <coughs> and a big thank you to Caleb to, uh, for driving while we do this and for uh, tolerating me uh, taking naps and stuff like that. <laughs> but until next time, everyone, take care and take someone hunting.